It's Tuesday, August 16th, 2022, and you're listening to episode 601 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 47 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. This is Mary. And I'm Brodor. Let's get to the subject we're talking about today, Wayne. I'm going to let you introduce this because the listener gave us a topic and we were kicking around. I think it's got good legs. So let's see where we go with this. Yep. This was James from Discord. It says that on his next game, he has a resolution of sorts to get better at bringing in players' backstories into the yes. game. And he's asking about, do we have any advice on how to integrate players' backstories into our game? Which is a great topic. Because now admitting the show's over 16 years old. I don't obviously recall everything we've said. I know we have frequently said, do this. It's a good idea. But I don't know if we've ever talked about how do you do it? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on it, too. Yeah, I do, too. So there's one preface thought I'm going to give. And then we're going to dive into this. And I've got several ways of approaching this. But the first thought I want to give is, James, it's a great question, but... One thing you don't want to put on yourself is if the players do not give you something to work with, then you have nowhere to go. So the very ability to do this begins with the players. If they give you a backstory that is fully wrapped up, and what I mean by that is every plot in their backstory is resolved, every person in their backstory is either dead or out of the picture, Every issue that they had is fully resolved. There may be nothing you can work with. It's almost as bad as not giving any backstory at all. Like at that point, there's nothing you can incorporate. Yes, I think it's only better insofar as it gives them some leverage to role play. Because at least they can role play the events they've been through. But if they are at a brand new, not just chapter in their character's life, but a whole new book where 100% of their prior tale plots and characters are all resolved, don't beat yourself up over this. The player gave you as the game master nothing to work with. There has to be a villain that's still out there, a family member who's still alive and cares about them, a piece of information that they want but haven't gotten. I don't know what it is, and it could be anything, but there has to be something unresolved. I will say when I've seen this fail from GMs, it's always because one of two things. The first one is the GM expects everyone to remember all the proper names from their backstory. If this is session one, I think that's reasonable. But let's say you've been gaming for two months of weekly games. Your player might not actually remember the names in the backstory. They wrote this two months ago. And or while a year they, and a half ago. Yeah, and you just read it to refresh yourself. They haven't necessarily read it to refresh themselves. So if your big gotcha moment requires them to recognize an NPC that shows up and you're just giving them the name, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Because as much as you think this is this huge thing for them, it may be. And when they realize it, they'll get all excited. But they may not recognize it when it comes up. I think it also is really good to, if you're going to bring that in as a GM, write a little note on the card and slide it to the player. Hey, 
just a reminder from your backstory, here's... Or it doesn't even be that specific. Yeah. Just before that game, tell everyone, hey, FYI, if you haven't in a while, reread your backstory because things may come up. I think, yep. you know, even that aside, if you adjectives can help, say you look at the guest book and you see Bob Smith and everyone at the table staring at you blankly, as opposed to you look at the guest book and Wayne, you see in your uncle's handwriting, Bob Smith. Now Wayne's yeah. like, oh yeah, my uncle Bob Smith. He was that guy who did, I don't know what, he... <laughs> was the first person to circumnavigate the globe. Magellan gets all the credit, but he actually was the guy on the on the bow of the ship the whole time. The other thing I see as a common failure are the GMs that will mine the backstories for prisoners. Here's somebody that's going to be kidnapped. You don't kidnap anyone. You have murder and mutilation. Those are your options. Or here's somebody to kill. <laughs> yeah, I think that causes players in your next campaign to be less likely to give you the backstory because they think that instead of the backstory being brought in as a way to enrich the story, it's going to be something that's used against you. That's why I didn't kill the NPC. I gamed with these people for years and years and years. And when I did kill the NPC, it was a baby that he wasn't even sure ever existed. It's genius. He loses sleep over it to this day. Ah! Anyway, um, so Dan, if I can horn in on your handwriting example, sure. I did precisely that in my current Savage Worlds game, which, Wayne, when you pitched this topic and you linked the thing that James had said, I was stoked because so much of my current game revolves around the backstory of the characters, but my friend Marcus, uh, his character Merrick Schreiber, gets a letter, and I don't describe anything except for the handwriting when I go into it and I talk about, you know, the gracefulness and the deliberation, the precision, etc., 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 and of course he recognizes it as his father's handwriting. The best part about that, though, is that his dad, he's got this disadvantage from East Texas University called overprotective parent. And he's a refugee from Germany. His, and this is a true story on the actual, my friend Marcus, this is true of his background. On the cracker side of his family, someone was a Nazi and a woman in the bloodline flees Germany, goes to England, blah, blah, blah. They end up in the United States. Anyway, Merrick's dad is a former Nazi. He's still alive. He's the overprotective parent. And so when I finally introduce him, I get to introduce him as the Colonia Dignidad vampire who escaped and is now helping in South America to establish the Fourth Reich. Oh, so it's like an Odessa. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. awesome. No, no, it. Colonia Dignidad, it's a real place. It's all f***ed up, right? Any which way. But I, I had to do something darker and uglier. So it had to be not just the otherworldly evil of the Nazis' cliche and well-reasoned, I mean, villains, right? I needed to go a step further. So I made him a vampire. And it's been so good. One of the things I like to do is look at everybody's backstory and start making ties between them that they That's, don't know about. Yes. So yes. when you're bringing yes. a backstory yes. in, you're not bringing, I'm not bringing Brodor in. 
I'm bringing Broder and Mary in, yeah. and they have no idea why it's connected. That's something I wanted to talk about, is the ability to tie together backstories. For example, even though the next actual play keeps having all these false starts, I can at least talk a little bit about that. Wayne, you have in your background that there's something called a child of Asta that you know. Yep. Now, that will explain the actual play. The real short version of that is... Think gray aliens abducting humans and creating a hybrid species, just like modern day conspiracy theories. In this sci-fi setting, it happened, and at some point, the hybrids wiped out the grays. They basically had a war of extinction, and the hybrids wiped out the what we'll call the father species. But the mother species, the humans, are still out there. Well, a child of Asta is one of these hybrids that favors the father species, which means that they have certain psionic and precognitive abilities that are some kind of quantum phenomenon that nobody quite understands. And so they're not full-blown telepaths. This isn't like Professor X. But they have these weird visions and senses of things that are to come or may currently be unfolding. And then I looked at well, what might this person want to be accomplishing, right? What is it that they would want to know? Well, I figured, well, there's probably a lot of mysteries about their past and about that connection to this extinct race of greats that they'd want to know more about. Well, meanwhile, over on the side of like Eric and Brandon, they're playing members of an alien species, completely unrelated. This is a fully alien species, has nothing to do with any of this. But there are some people on their side who are kind of in the know on some things, but aren't really good people. And they're suddenly involved in these plots that are on the far end of known space from where their territory is. Well, why would they be involved in this? Well, what if this child of Asta is manipulating this because she knows that these aliens have the technology and the know-how and the history to uncover certain things she wants to know, and so she kind of needs to manipulate them to be involved in this. What's great is when I wrote the backstory for this child of Asta, I knew none of that connection. Yeah. But I made her secretly working for the security for it. Basically, she's a spy. Yeah. And so that right there says, well, she could have any number of motivations. And so what I do is I start looking for matches. So I look through all the other characters that people have given me from their backstory and all the other information that I've got and say, well, wait a minute. I could tie these two things together if I just create a fact in the middle the party's unaware of. And I don't want to reveal all these because I have a lot of them that are going to come up in this game. But nonetheless, I was able to do that by looking at these. So transitioning here a bit, I think the way that I want to do this is rather than pontificating in concept, I want to demonstrate. Okay, if you've seen the famous Bill O'Reilly clip, F it, do it live. That's that's what we're going to do here. What do you mean to play us out? I'm sorry, I've I've listened to that way too many times. (laughs) So what I want, I'm going to pick a person and I'm going to be the GM. And I'm going to name a game that we're all familiar with. So I might use D&D or something like that. Something we all know. And say, give me a character. And in real time, I'm going to talk about how I would use that character to tie into the backstory. So who wants to be my guinea pig? I'll go first. Okay, Wayne. So we're going to play a D&D game set in 
Forgotten Realms in the Sembia region, which they originally said they were never going to develop, and I still hold on to that. So I believe Sembia has no canon. I want you to, it's a, by the way, a trade kingdom that sits on the southeastern corner of a continent along a big coastline. To the north has a bunch of independent city-states, and to the west has a fairly large and stable feudal kingdom. This is sort of a mashup of a merchant feudal kingdom with merchant houses that are just as powerful as the landowners. You're playing a D&D character. I don't even care what. I want you to tell me about your D&D character. Just high concept and a little bit of backstory. So I'm playing a sorcerer, a tiefling sorcerer, but I was raised by dwarves. What happened was, as a baby, my mother dropped me off in this town with these dwarves and told them, I'm being chased. Please keep my baby safe. So is your character dwarfed by only being raised or by lineage? My character is a tiefling. That right, was but raised by which dwarfs. was a pure race in 5th edition. Well, yeah. they, they, okay, at least the 5th edition books I've been reading, they have demon in their bloodline, but they are something yep. else as well. Right. So it might be a human with demon yeah, in their this bloodline. Is a human. So, okay, so you're a human yeah. with de- demonic blood. Yes. Okay, go on. I was raised by the dwarves. They don't know what happened to my mother. My mother, after she dropped me off, she went into the woods. She may still be out there somewhere. I don't know. But... I was raised into this family of dwarven merchants. They're bringing dwarven stonework from their hometown into the cities and selling it. And they're doing their own kind of crafting work as well. But that's how I was raised, knowing that they had to keep me secret for a while because they didn't know who was hunting my mom. So I always was looking over my shoulder for is somebody out there looking for me. Okay, so I can tell you right now, here's where I'm going to go with this. Knowing nothing else, now obviously if I had other players and other characters, then that would change some of this. First off, you're a tiefling. That means you're a human who has demonic blood somewhere in your ancestry or devilish blood, one of the two, somewhere in your ancestry. Yep, and that's where my sorcery comes from. So straight up, I am now going to start developing either a devil or a demon who represents that ancestry. And the devil or the demon is going to have a cult that was harassing your mother because this demon, actually, I'm developing it right now as I'm thinking about it. This demon has the ability of divination. It actually focuses on prophecy in the future and has a vast ability to know stuff about that and knows that in order to be brought back into the plane and for its cult to really take hold again, it needs certain stone-worked artifacts. So it needs like statues and idols and certain sigils and such that are stone-worked. And so it needs you to be with the dwarves. It used its cult to never kill your mother, because that's ultimately his great-great-great-granddaughter or something, or at least in-law. And so the demon or devil maybe doesn't want to kill your mother, maybe does, but ultimately was just trying to get her to drop you off with the dwarves because your exposure to their skills would start creating some opportunities to make those things happen. And you are going to be the gateway for bringing this demon back. You just have to get the dwarves to make certain things. And so now what I'm looking at in the plot is how do I get the dwarves to make certain things to solve plot points where it sounds like it's for good, and each of these things helps, like, oh, there's a town that's not getting rain, and you go to a dungeon and find this idol of rain, and 
it now makes it rain and the town has a great and bountiful harvest. But that's one of the idols that's necessary to bring this demon back into the corporeal plane. And so right there, there's the openings. And I'm riffing this on the spot. As you can attest, we did not pre-discuss this. Well, and what I like about it is because this also gives you side quests. This gives you things. This isn't something that you reveal right away. Yeah. This is end game. And you're sewing the pieces in from the very beginning. And you're in the middle of something else. But you need to have a statue made for some reason. See, what I'm doing is I'm taking the elements of Wayne's background. The demon the mother, the cult, the dwarves. And these are things that when Wayne described them, they were unrelated. There was no guiding intelligence or design to them. I gave them design. I basically said, what if nothing in Wayne's background is coincidence? That everything is by design, and that gave me the ability to start drawing all of this together. Now, I could go on to say, well, perhaps the mother and dropping him off with the dwarves well, maybe there's a way to fight this demon. And the mother consulted some cleric of some good religion who said that the dwarves would have a choice. They could make the idols that summon this thing, but they would also know how to make the tools to break the summoning, to break this thing's grip on this world forever, to lock it permanently in the abyss or in the inferno or whatever. And so there's other ways that I could develop this. But I am starting with assuming two things. One, there are no coincidences, or at least not that I'm going to work around. And two, there's more to his background than he knows. There are truths and opportunities that have not been revealed to him. There's a bigger story there than what he's been told. Now, if, let's say, Brodor is playing a paladin, I'm going to say, okay, well, Brodor is a paladin of the religion that his mom went to. And somewhere buried in the archives of his paladin order is some kind of script that explains the way that you could break this demon's hold on the world and that the dwarves are kind of the deciding factor. And maybe at some point, some mentor in Brodor's paladin order is going to have something to say about this. And I'd look into his background and say, how can I tie these together all right, let's rotate. Wayne, you're... Say, one other thing I could potentially see for this backstory, I gave the obvious one of the mother, and you bit on it. I never mentioned anything about the father. That's that a good point. That actually is something you could bring Where's in. Where's the father? Look for where are the holes in a backstory. Yeah. You know what? I, I, the fact, I'd probably even go with the father's one of the cultists. Yep. I would have thought the father's one of the cultists, or maybe the father left the mother to join the church to try to find a way to stop yeah. the demon. Or maybe the father is a useless drunk who bums around a town that nobody's paying attention to, but he knows a lot of this. He's the person who can bring together a lot of the information and point you in directions that nobody else could. So the father's still out there, and he appears to everyone to be insignificant. But in truth, he's kind of the snowflake that decides which way the avalanche falls because of what he knows. Yep. So there's a lot of different ways you can look at a backstory, not just looking at what's there, but looking at what's not there and see where those opportunities are. Yeah. So, Wayne, let's go ahead and rotate. You're the GM now. What's the game and who do you want to be your victim? Let's make Broder my victim because I'm looking right at him. All right, Broder, we're playing a Skies of Glass game. All right. We are set in a desert town. Like Nevada? Yes. Okay, gross. Yeah, it is hot. We have struggled. The town is basically on its last gasp of life. 
And so the campaign is going to be essentially about trying to either save the town or find somewhere new to go. Wayne, I'm going to add a complicating factor. After Brodor goes, I'm going to be your second player. Okay. So you're going to have two characters to tie together. I'm going to add complexity to this. Mary, I've got you picked out for something specific. You talked about pre-recording that I really want you to talk about. I'm going to be the other sacrificial lamb here. So Brodor, you go first. Then I'm going to tie a character to Brodor. Okay. And Wayne's going to show us how he's going to use both of our backstories. So I I, I recently started reading War Before Civilization. In the book, one of the things they talk about, sort of the, the myth of the peaceful savage, is that you had these isolated areas of tribes that were, by all accounts, very peaceful. So it turns out, after a lot of ethnographic and anthropological studies, that they were peaceful because they'd gotten their asses kicked so much so often that they were living in these really difficult, ugly places. And so our community essentially is that. Been We've had our dicks kicked in with regularity from ists, military, whatever the world background is, right? But it's at the point that we can no longer, it's just not sustainable. We can no longer scrape out a living. And the real issue is water, right? Because you've got three minutes three days and three weeks for air, water, and food. And so our whole mission is about finding a source of potable water so that then we have enough water for people to actually go on an excavation and leave. But my father was a grifter, like an actual liar. And so he's convinced people that he can use dousing rods and find water when in reality he has a bunch of old survey paperwork from the area right so he knows where all of these old water cisterns and piping and stuff are and so he sort of has a lot of control over the group because he's been able to persuade people that he can magically find water and that he's passed this gift on to his son okay so my character I am. I would do some research, so I'm going to admit that I'm just riffing off the top of my head. If I was actually going to play this character, I would do some research to get this right. I am going to play a Navajo, because we're talking about a part of the, the American Southwest, obviously, is a large portion of is covered right. by the Navajo Nation. And so I'm a Navajo by descent, and we were living pre-war, pre-nukes, in really, really tough, rugged conditions. But my family kept up their traditions, fourth world, the turquoise, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When people basically came in and were trying to look to us for help post-war, there was a disagreement about do we see this as effectively the penance of the colonizers or do we try to take the higher road and help these people and integrate them into our society? And I'm from the background that my parents taught me to live in compassion, but they also taught me to respect the old ways, to be close to nature, to be a very spiritual person, and that I actually know a lot of the rights of finding water, 
And the shamanism, once again, if I was playing this for real, I'd do more research. So bear with me. I'm being somewhat ignorant here. But, you know, that's sort of the background that I am in. But I believe, nonetheless, in a lot of the Navajo ideas of cleanliness and uncleanliness in the spiritual sense, like you don't have contact with certain minerals, you don't have contact with reptiles or snakes in particular, whereas we like to have contact with turquoise and silver and things like that. My mother died of cancer. My father went out into the desert seeking what was believed to be an angry spirit that was grabbing people from the town. Maybe a skinwalker, we don't know what it was. But my father went out there to try and deal with it, and he never came back. I am now part of Brodor's water expedition because I am the person who is bringing the real spirituality and religious aspect to Brodor's crude attempts to find this water using a dousing system he doesn't, in my mind, fully understand. Now, maybe he does, right? His father's right, it's, it's, no, it's theatric, right? Right, like, right. It's not. It's a. It's just a, well. Be, to me, it's not. Yeah, right? touche. Yeah, and and it's, yeah. it's up to Wayne. He's the GM. You know, if the dousing rod points down and you didn't even know there was a buried water reservoir, maybe it really works, right? That's up to Wayne. He can decide how ambiguous he wants to be. But you've got the map, so you yeah, know the general he's, area. He's right. coming from grifters. I'm coming from people who genuinely believe this. All right, Wayne, where are you going with this? A couple things stood out for me that I would be kind of working with here. I love the idea of Broder's father as a grifter. He has set some people off. So when he came into town, he has some popularity because he's successful. He's taken some control of the town from other people who are not very happy. Somebody at that point had left town, basically joined a band of ists that were out there. When your father left, he ran into this band of ists, but instead of them killing him he was recognized and he was known for what he could do and he was instead brought into it so he's now basically their priest or shaman or medicine man or whatever when the group finally comes into you know you're looking out there when you run into these ists dan you're going to find you have a younger brother that you've never met that is now in this ist camp your father has had another child broder as you come into town Oh, so he remarried and betrayed my mother. Yes. He didn't stay pure to her. As you come into town, you find out about this person that had a past with your father. And as things kind of come out, it comes out that this man who knew your father has basically filled his head with lies. Your father believes the town is dead and everyone there is no longer alive. And so he was in a tough place. He doesn't know that he still has family out there, but you're there. This guy sees you and he hates you. Right. So there's all of this drama going on as you come into the IST camp and start meeting people. And there's this internal conflict in the camp itself that you're uniquely positioned for. Because your father, Dan, has he now knows his son is still alive. He now feels guilt that he left you back there, that he never tried to escape, and that he built a new life. And they look to him. He has built his own position within these ists versus the guy that wants to kill you. To explain an ist to anyone who's not familiar with Skies of Glass, they are basically raiders or bandits that have a very, very strongly ideological center. So what separates them from a generic set of bandits or a street gang is that there's some ideology 
at the middle of it. I mean, they could be religious crusaders. They could be people that are strongly focused on particular philosophies. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's whatever it is they are. There's something strongly ideological. They're not just driven by avarice or greed and survival. There's something yeah. else that drives them. These are the true believers, as messed up as they may be, they are true believers of whatever it is that drives them. And that's what you see when you come in. There's an internal civil war about to start between the two of them who both hold strong positions in the East. Growing up and knowing your father's a grifter, you know this guy that he drove out isn't actually a true believer. Right. He is faking it for power. And so that's the story you kind of come in on is there's a civil war happening. It's because of what happened with your father and your father in the past. And now the sins of the father are falling on the son. So, Wayne, walk me through the process. How did you come to all this? How did you get all this? So I was listening through Brodars and I love the kind of grifter idea. So I was thinking about, well, a grifter is going to leave people upset. What can I do with that? Yeah. Then I listened to your story, and I love this idea of the people actually having the faith of finding the water and all of that. And when you said your father went out, I didn't want him dead. I didn't want him a prisoner, exactly. But I wanted to do something with it. And that got me thinking, well, Broder's got a father history. You've got a father history. What kind of theme can I tie those two together with? And that's where I came up with this idea of the father's history all coming to fruition with the sons. Yeah. Well, and I love the, the idea, I'm sorry, that your character, Dan, has a younger brother who is raised in Ist culture, right? Yeah. And so how does that affect his relationship with his father, right? Because, sure, you're his brother, maybe his half-brother, but he doesn't know you. But what he does know is that now his dad's a bitch because his non-ist son has come back into the picture and his dad's starting to get real soft. Yeah. Or maybe there's an opportunity for this brother to work with me and try to manipulate me into usurping your father's affection to gear. I mean, there's all sorts or of... Or being redeemed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of directions of to yeah. go with here. It uh, gives me so many things to play with as you kind of discover the stories. And I really like this idea of, I didn't want your father to have just abandoned yeah. everyone, but I like this idea of he believed everyone was dead. He was lied to by somebody who knew him. So before I turn this to Mary... Well, and I might have a transitional question. Okay, because right? I have a... Tra I, there's a comment I want to make. So hold your question for yeah, one yeah, second. Yeah. Don't forget it. But there's a, a transitional comment I want to make that describes what happened in both my process and Wayne's process. This is something that I got from a pastor who was trying to explain how to interpret scripture, the podcast, say religious. I promise we're going to keep it that way. It's just a quote that you can apply to this. And the quote is, what is the therefore, therefore? Why does the therefore exist? Now, what am I referring to? What I mean is that when somebody gives you a backstory, you as a game master can find inspiration by inserting the word therefore, T-H-E-R-E-F-O-R-E, -E -E, you know, because of the prior thought. So I have a brother. And if that's the end of the sentence, you as a game master write in the margins, therefore, what? What is the therefore, therefore? You know, fathers, right? Yep. Brother's father's a grifter. 
My father's a true believer. Therefore, therefore what? What is the therefore there for? And finish that sentence that you could find a lot of your inspiration just by adding the word therefore all over the place to somebody's background or thereafter or because of this. And then dot, 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 and continuing stories and thoughts where the player left them hanging. Mary, what's your question? So my question is going to be, how do you actually incorporate this into a game that you've already partially written? You have a plot in mind when you sit down at the table and your players give you these great backstories and you come up with these ways to tie them together. But this ist camp didn't exist in your initial game notes. How do you put those things together and where do they actually come into the story? A most honest answer, and I'm going to then give a second answer because my first answer is not going to answer your question at all. Right is I don't write the plot until I have the backstories. That's yeah. fair. That That is an answer. Yes. Yeah. No, that's the same thing for me. Very typically, I will not create anything that's really going on other than an initial setup mm-hmm. until I've got everyone's character and backstory, and then I will custom build it around them. However, in this setup, I set up that they're going to have to go out and look for water. Yeah. Yes. So how it's going to tie in they're going to run into these ists while they're out looking for water. Right. These yeah. are going to be people that they run into because they're out looking for yeah, the water. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, I would go with that as what Wayne described is the high concept of the plot is a search for water. At least that's where we're going to begin. Now, the plot could deviate in any number of ways, but where we're at least starting is there's a search for water. Okay, so we're out there looking for water. We know that any of these things that Broder or I bring to the plot are going to simply color or context or nuance that search for water. I would say the same thing about the upcoming actual play. They know going into this that the basic setup of the plot is that the galaxy is at least on its second iteration of major civilizations. They do not know the details. But it's a fact that people in academia know, but the average person would consider as conspiracy theory, that there was a round of civilizations that occurred several thousand years ago that, for unknown reasons, disappeared. And they chose that the characters they're going to play are looking to learn about these previous civilizations. So whatever plot I write, it's going to be about the discovery of what these civilizations were like and how they impact or their legacy impacts the views and the goals and the origins of the species that are there currently. And so I can say anything that I context is going to be context into that. So, for example, when Wayne gave me that child of Asta, well, here's someone that has unique reason to be interested in their now extinct father race because they are a freak among freaks. It's a hybrid species and they are a rarity among this hybrid artificial species. So they are freak among freaks. It is very personal to them to learn anything they can about their heritage. And so I could say, all right, this NPC that Wayne gave me in his background is clearly got a motive to manipulate or spy on or keep inserting herself into the things that the party is uncovering and discovering. And so my plot of the iterative nature of civilizations in the galaxy, at least going back one iteration, are there more iterations? They'll find out during the course of the game. But 
nonetheless, they're going to find out that, you know, there was at least one iteration. Well, they already know this. And so this person is going to be leaning toward that. So I'm basically just juggling two facts. On one hand, there's the fact of my plot, which is they're looking into previous civilizations. But on the other hand is the fact of Wayne's character. So how does this character, this NPC, intersect with Wayne's player character? Well, Wayne gave me that in his backstory. And they happen to share a similar goal. Therefore, this is going to come to some kind of critical mass. And we'll see how that plays out in the game. I honestly don't know how it will play out. I have one more suggestion on how to integrate. And let's say in the course of the campaign, my group is going to meet a new group they haven't experienced, go to a new town they haven't experienced, or just interact with some faction. They are planning on doing something. Okay, before that next section, I'm going to look through all their backstories. And I'm going to ask two questions. How can someone's backstory help their situation? How can someone's backstory hurt their situation? And I'm going to look for those opportunities in there. So when they're going, it's not just you're now meeting generic faction B that I hadn't originally had anything for and you're going to interact with. No, you're going to meet this faction that has your long-lost brother in it. Yeah, that is something of a tangential thought that I don't know I want to develop in this show because it's kind of a topic unto itself. But I think you're right in that someone's backstory could create incidental side plots but I would hate to make them just incidental side plots of, I know we're fighting the evil wizard, but oh yeah, by the way, this particular episode's about Wayne's dad's failure in business. But that's not what I mean by this. What I mean by this is they are already going to do something on the side. How can I make that more interesting and personal? Because they're already going there. They have to go get apart from this town. That is something they have to do, and they're going to do it. Yeah. Now, how can I take this that would be a quest to go get a part and make, and make this, it personal? Yeah, put and this that's town where on the map. I'm, yep, yeah. That's where I'm mining their backstories for. Yeah. Use, to, using player backstories to fill yeah. in the blanks that you already had in your notes, like, this town exists. Yeah. I know very little about it. Instead what of can creating, I pull in to yeah. make it fleshed out? Instead of relevant? creating a brand new NPC, maybe I have one of their NPCs in the town yeah. take that role. That way, instead of this being a side story about their character, it is flavoring that side quest that they had to do anyway with something personal. One of the issues you run into is that I'm going to have some players that are going to give me, like Wayne did, a paragraph for, you know, this and a paragraph for that. And enough that I can sink my teeth into but room to breathe my current game for example my friend brent gave me an amazing background that he never had any intention of being the focus of the story um he even moved where he sat at the table so that he would not feel like we were adversarial and all this great stuff but i have managed through the other characters to pull all this stuff of his background and up to and including blackmailing the journalist student to dig up dirt on him for a professor. Anyway, the point is, is that there's somebody else at my table who gave me very little background. And that background was about her family and her siblings and what have you. But I was able to, over time, develop some relationships with her and her parents in particular. But then there's somebody else at my table who, like, there's no background. It's not at all just a high character concept about 
who he wants to be and what his interests are. So I have someone like that in my group. Very, very rarely gives backstory things. What I keep in mind then is a backstory isn't just something that's given to you before the game. As a person plays and develops their character, their backstory is being developed at the table. So listen for the things they're doing and have NPCs ask them questions and make them make up stuff on the fly. And then later down the line, you can start to integrate a backstory. I I see my cut on this is going to be, I recognize that in any given group, there's going to be the one person who gives you novella. Yeah. And there's going to be one person who, if you're lucky, gives you two or three sentence fragments. Then you get a fun person that gives a novella to the group and then a private novella to you with the secrets. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah. And look, are you that guy when? No, 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 no. I know what he's talking about. But (laughs) you you have two extremes there because the person who gave you novella, it's like, look, I don't have time to read this much. Let's figure out how to leverage all of it. And the person gives you two or three sentence fragments. You can be like, well, I'm going to do my best. I can maybe dig something out of this, but you didn't give me a whole lot to work with. And I think, to some extent, I kind of punt the problem. Yep. It's like, you as the player created this problem. You gave me too much information, and the information was too defined, or you gave me nothing to work with. You don't want to put in the time. I can't help you. You put in too much time and give me something I can't use, I can't process, or so defined, I've got nothing to add to it in the story. Right. Well, you kind of screwed yourself, and... I'll do what I can. I'll honor it to a point, but I think once again, to use a game master can't carry all the water. You have to stroke some of this off to the player. I think I tend to find a balance in that less with players who give you too much, but more with players who give you absolutely nothing is what I will do as I will take the player who gives me nothing and just be like, if you've given me anything at all, I will tie you to another player. I will tie your backstory, like the little that you gave me, into somebody else's backstory and let you, like, trail along with them and flesh out part of their story. So it's less... Because a lot of times when somebody gives you nothing, it's either because they either don't have the raw creativity or raw focus to, like, come up with it out of nothing. I have this problem sometimes where if you give me all... If you say that all the options are on the table, I'm sitting there going, well, my brain just shut down. I can't think of anything. And I think that's sometimes a real problem. So if you give them any kind of guidance at all, and like I said, sometimes it works to tie them to another player and be like, hey, I have these hooks. Let's sink you into these a little bit and see if you can work together to build your character up a little bit and also flesh out what they've already given you. There are people that just simply cannot develop their character until they've played it. Right. I think there are also people out there, because I at least can think of one person offhand, that writes these huge backstories, but never asks you to integrate it. Doesn't care if you integrate it. That's what they need to do to understand the character they're bringing to the table. And they'll do other things outside of the game with it as well that maybe they never give you. I've had players that will write full fiction on their characters that they never give. It's just what helps them develop that character. I'm going to make a decision here that went against my original intention, but I think actually works well for something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And until recently, we've not had anyone on the show that could do it. Mary had some thoughts that we were discussing before the game about how do you take this with a module? How do you personalize someone's backstory when what you're running is a module? Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I'm going to pause this is partially because we're up against the amount of audio I want to deal with, but also because of the fact that 
How do you make a module custom to a group? How do you flesh it out or cut it down or whatever it takes? How do you manipulate a module to make it more than you reading out of a book is a subject that a lot of people have asked us about. And because our answer almost universally across every host has been don't run modules, we weren't qualified to answer it. Mary has answers for this. So whether it's next episode or the episode thereafter, it depends on when we get Mary back for a recording. Whenever Mary's back next, we are going to do a whole show dedicated to personalizing modules. And we're going to start with how do you take characters and make the module personal to them based on the backstory of a plot that's already fully written in high detail. Yep. I love the topic because only within the last four months have I ever ran pre-written things. I've run one shots at our module since then. Yeah. And yep. I now have things I can talk about with and, it. So, so we're, I, it's a brilliant, what she gave me as an answer to that question, I thought was brilliant and I want to develop it. It's just, I feel like we don't have the time to do it justice now. So we will come back to that. Can I say one last thing? Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. I will try to be brief. So ultimately for me, what I do in my game currently, I have people who have given me a paragraph background. I've given me people who've just given me a family tree of their immediate family. Um, I have somebody who gave me an elaborate background. I have somebody who made a newspaper that they published when they were in high school before their character graduated to become a freshman in Miskatonic University. And I've incorporated the arsonist that burned down his school um, into a villain who's in league with one of their professors. Anyway, the point is, is that when I'm doing my game prep now, one of the things I've conditioned myself to do is I try to think about a scene with everybody at the table. So if I know, and we do a roll call at the beginning of the week, who's going to be here on Friday, whatever. But if I know Brent's going to be here and I know Marx is going to be here and I know Lawrence or Aaron's going to be absent, I have different areas that I can focus on. But with their backgrounds, it's just like having an employee that complains to you, the boss, right? Or brings something up to you. It may not be important to you, but it's important to them. So the backgrounds provide me an opportunity to pay attention to what is important to them. So if, if I'm flailing and I need to find something to draw somebody in, I'll try to plan for things on their background. Or if it's somebody like my buddy Aaron, who didn't really provide a lot of background, he drops a lot of hints about what he's interested in during the course of the game. And so it allows me the opportunity to take that spotlight and really focus it on each individual. So if the player gives me some background that I can work with, it's really, I find, very, very helpful in terms of making sure that they get appropriate focus and time to shine at the table. Cool. That's where we're going to wrap this one up. But once again, we're going to come back either next episode or the episode thereafter, talk about modules. I don't know if there's going to be anything all that exciting in the show notes. But as always, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2022. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. 
You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.